Greetings and welcome to Nonprofits Are Messy. I'm your host, Joan Gary, founder of the Nonprofit Leadership Lab, where we help smaller nonprofits thrive. I'm also a strategic advisor for executive directors and boards of larger nonprofits. I'm a frequent keynote speaker, a blogger, and an author on all things leadership and management. You can learn more at joangary.com. I think of myself as a woman with a mission to fuel the leadership of the nonprofit sector. My goal with each episode is to dig deep into an issue I know that nonprofit leaders are grappling with by finding just the right person to offer you advice and insights. Today is no exception. Greetings, Joan Gary here, along with my friend, colleague, fellow nonprofit champion advocate, Beth Cantor. I can say good morning because I'm on the East Coast. So good morning, Beth. Good morning, Joan. And How are you? Okay. Can I take a fangirl moment for a second? Will you let me do that? I just want so much appreciation to making space for this conversation, as we're just saying, having a coffee chat, if you will, because I really have respected your thought leadership on nonprofit leadership and uh, for many years and the nonprofit lab, which is amazing. So if uh, you're a nonprofit, you should definitely check the link I uh, put in the comments. And while we're going to talk about the tech, what we're really going to be talking about is leadership, right? (laughs) Yes, we totally are. And actually, and what does it look like? And one of the things I have long admired about you is that you push nonprofit leaders to think differently to think about what's possible, to think about innovation, to think about that you can do all of those things and take care of yourself all at the same time. And as we get into this conversation about AI, I definitely want to talk about the mindset of innovation in our sector and what I've observed and the connection between sort of leadership and embracing change. Or adopting technology. (laughs) Totally right. So we're gathered for a, what I think is a really timely and crucial conversation, which is what every nonprofit leader should know about AI. Now let's face it. AI is, it's not the future. It's not something that's coming. It's something that's right here. It's powerful. It's transformative. And I would argue that if we do not grasp its potential and its pitfalls, we do that at our own peril. We're just falling behind, not just failing behind, but also really, I think, compromising the ethical compass of our organization. Beth is going to try to demystify AI for you and discuss its ethical implications. And we'll talk about some use cases about how to actually put this to work in your organization. And so I think we should just jump in unless you have anything else you'd like to add. No, I think that's great framing, Joan. Let's hop to it. Let's go. All right. I like to level the playing field by making sure that we have a clear understanding of what we are talking about. So maybe you can start by just a concise definition of artificial intelligence and where you think we stand in that world of technology today. Sure. Great question. And always really good to level set when it comes to technology, because sometimes like technology people. I'm not really a techie. I'm an accidental techie. We speak our own vocabulary. And that's okay. I'm an accidental. (laughs) So so everybody's accidental something, right? Yeah. And one of the best things about working along with my partner in crime for so many years, Alison Fine, my co-author of two books, um, is that we spend a lot of time trying to explain it in really simple terms. And so AI, it's been around since the 1950s. And what's new about it is this generative AI piece. And I'll explain that in a moment. But it really does the same thing 
and this is a really simplified definition. It's advanced digital tech that identifies patterns in data and completes different tasks or create generates content, all right, in the case of generative AI. And there's lots of terms. Artificial intelligence is kind of this umbrella term, and there's lots of aunts and uncles and cousins. People might have heard machine learning, natural language processes, large language models, smart forms, chatbots, robots, computer vision, all that stuff. I'm not going to talk about like the ins and outs of that, but it's more of this umbrella term and how it works. All right. So a couple things to understand. You don't need to know how to code if you're a leader. Let's let that anxiety go. Right. It, It works with something called algorithms. And basically these are rules or mathematical equations. And we'd like to say recipes for baking a cake. And it takes lots of practice to get this cake right. And the way that you train the recipes is that it's trained with data and lots and lots of data. As we said in the book, in some cases, Library of Congress-sized data. And the data can be, in the case of ChatGPT, information on the internet, right? Or it could be other sources. It could be your fundraising data. And what's happening now, it's, it's been like the fridge humming in the background. It's already in our everyday lives. It may be suggesting what you watch on TV, Netflix, that runs on machine learning. So it's starting to enter nonprofit life, if you will, in the way we do our work. It's being embedded in everyday tools like the Microsoft Office uh, suite and other tools that nonprofits commonly use, and as well as our nonprofit-specific software tools like fundraising tools and whatnot. So it's here, (laughs) and it's with us, and we can't take this binary approach of saying, no, I'm going to stick my head in the sand and ignore it. Or I'm going to jump in full blast without thinking through some of the important things. Yeah, I think your comment about Netflix is really interesting, not only because I'm a complete TV junkie, but to make the point that this is not something that just arrived, right? Every one of us who stream has any streaming service gets recommendations about what to watch based on previous behaviors. So even that, just that little bit reminds us that this is not some like new thing, right? And But it does feel like it's getting a lot more sort of attention and hype at this particular moment. And I, maybe I'm wrong, but if I'm right, what would you attribute that to? Allison and I have been thinking about and writing about AI and nonprofits now for, I don't know, eight, eight years or so before we wrote the book. And people would say, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> but ever since the launch of ChatGPT about a year right. ago, uh, or generative AI, that's really caught everybody's attention because it's easy to use. It doesn't take technical skills and they can see it do something real, write a first draft or edit some copy for you or create an image. So they could see the usefulness in their everyday work life. Okay. And so the public launch of ChatGPT almost a year ago, it reached, there's a metric called hundred million active users. It reached that really fast, like in less than a month um, compared right. to other software. And so that created an avalanche of media attention and it's being embedded as I mentioned before, in nonprofit software tools that they use every day, like Microsoft. If you just downloaded or upgraded your Zoom, maybe you notice the AI companion on the toolbar. Yes, so I did. it is in Zoom. <laughs> and also it's being added to many fundraising tools and other nonprofit tools. So this is the moment when the technology has become democratized. It's not too expensive. It doesn't require like 
really extensive technical skills and it shows up everywhere at once. But it does, and it inflates expectations, right? But, and it does take a while, I think, before it becomes boring where everybody's using it, right? And we don't have to kick off conversations with any kind of level setting and explaining what it is. It's just become a part of the way we work. I don't think we're there yet. (laughs) And that's going to take, that's where the rubber meets the road. And that's where I think leadership's going to come in. I totally agree with you. And what's interesting is my next thought actually was echoed here by Graham Seal in the comments. I hope I'm pronouncing your name right. AI has been around for decades, but generative AI is a game changer. So the release of chat GPT woke us all up. And I was actually going to ask this very question. Can you, is there a distinction between AI technologies and what Graham rightfully calls generative AI? Yeah, I think we take our cue from the title generative, right? It analyzes patterns, generative AI, large language model, it analyzes patterns and data, and it creates new content based on that. So if it's a text tool like ChatGPT, it'll create new text, okay? If it's an image generation tool like Dolly, and there's MidJourney, there's a number of them out there, it'll analyze pixels and pictures and create a new image based on your prompt or question. You have to promise that we can come back to MidJourney because when we're talking about ethical use, we actually recently had an experience using MidJourney. That was quite a, an interesting wake-up call for us. Yeah, and I have a couple of examples, and I think we're in the Wild West stage now. Um, totally. But, but anyway, so, you know, and I think we're seeing a lot of fundraisers, for example, turn to these large language models like ChatGPT and others to help them do any writing and also the image creators, image tasks that are related to fundraising. So if you think about it, I think a fundraiser, a big part of their job is writing tasks, right? Great. Totally. <laughs> like any outreach, marketing, even like running your nonprofit lab, you have to create social media posts, you have to edit articles, nonprofit fundraisers have to do all these campaign materials, grant proposals proposals, reports, thank you notes. And these tools can help them save a lot of time, right? Depending on where they need it, like how it fits into their workflow. We want to avoid it completely automating and not having any human intervention because we know that right now with the public models, they make things up and you want to be careful with that. Me personally, I have, I don't, like extension collaboration with it right now. I'm using it now for a lot of editing. And if I get stuck and I feel like a sentence or something I've written is too jargony or it's just too complex, I might ask it. I might throw it into a one of those tools and say, can you rephrase this in a more concise way? Yeah. In the leadership lab, Scott Paley, my business partner, who's I think somewhere in the in the crowd here, <laughs> we use it when we're trying to come up with the sort of phases of learning, right? And maybe you want to come up with what would this phase be called when we were stuck on titles or categories or things like that. And you describe the attributes of it and it gives you some samples that it's really actually, it may not have the answer, but it prompts you to think differently thus leading to you to an answer. Exactly. Or, this, or if you have an email campaign and you've brainstormed five subject line <laughs> subject lines that you want, and you've run out of steam and you can go there and say, oh, let's see what it said. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't think of, oh, I could change that and do this. Yeah, absolutely. So I would call that moderate collaboration that you're brainstorming with it. I think what's going to be really powerful is what's coming. It was just recently announced is OpenAI announced it on uh, enterprise level or its storefront where it can use 
use this language model, but with a, instead of using all information on the internet, it can be a more your organization's data set or text data sets. And I saw a model of somebody playing with this. It was called the nonprofit Ask Me Anything. So it was using this technology and it was ask it anything about leadership, management, governments, fundraising, marketing, incorporation, fiscal sponsorship and DEI, et cetera. And what its database was a curated selection of articles mm-hmm. about nonprofit leadership and uh, white papers and research. And so I was just playing around. I said, what are the best practices for uh, leadership transition? And what it did, what I really liked, it gave me like the, it summarized like 10 different papers. Here were the key po- uh, similar points in the papers. And then it gave me the citations. Yes. So then I could go and I could look, I could click on it and I could look at the paper. Oh, okay. So this is where, (laughs) oh, okay. Yeah. And, but something doing that kind of synthesis work would, could take a long time. And I think the tools can do that really well as, as well, as long as you don't take it as the, you still need some human oversight on what it's giving you. I think about it as we write op-eds from time to time or thought leadership pieces, that kind of thing. Right. And one of the things that can actually take the most time is exactly what you're talking about. If you're going to write something for Stanford Social Innovation Review, it's not like a blog post. Right. And so I'm thinking about nonprofit leaders who might be watching and thinking, oh, I don't have time to do my own writing and get visible in external public platforms. And they won't write something that's just my sort of my point of view. Right. But this kind of tool can, in fact, do the some of the work for you that helps you to provide the evidence to support the argument you're making in a piece, whether it's a piece about the sector that you work in or whatever it might be. So that's a place where there's real tangible time-saving, boy, I have data, I have citations, right? I have the kind of thing that high-profile outlet is looking for to support my argument. Absolutely. And I think about like in my own professional learning, I try to read something every day and now, now I'm deep diving into AI and there's so much that comes through. There isn't enough time. Right. But if I can pick out, okay, I see these three papers or these three, the White House memo on this, safety and AI and this, oh, I got to carve out some time and read them. I may not have the time, a couple hours to do that, but I could feed it in, get a summary and then think about, okay, so let me go back to the source. I see something here in the summary. It doesn't quite sit right. Let's see. Let me go read that section <laughs> and really see what it's saying. I, I mean, actually... I- Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say in this case, an example I just gave you, I'm not as deep an expert in nonprofit leadership literature and you are, right? So you might go to this and it might give you an answer and you might say, huh, it's not including this thought and that thought or this practice. So there is like a piece of, I think it's helpful to bring basics in, but it also illustrates the point around bias. Yes. Because somebody curated this database of material, right? So it was that person's opinion to include these things because they were important, but what's being left out? I have to call out Nancy Smith here, who says, after I ask uh, generative AI for a summary or synthesis, I then ask it to critique its synthesis. Yeah, that's another one. Forces to deepen or expand the topic. I love that. Another tool, Claude, it's called Claude. It's by Anthropologist. I'm going to trip over the words, but it is another generative AI text tool, but it's really good at summarizing and you can actually attach PDFs and it'll give you a summary. And I got that one for summaries. So let's shift a little bit from the the use cases, although we'll be working them through the conversation, but you're an accidental techie. I'm an accidental leadership consultant, but we both (laughs) actually are deep in the trenches and can now no longer call us ours accidental anything's, right? Right. (laughs) Right. 
What have we got on our hands here, Beth? Do we have people don't understand the tech or do we have a, I have to actually incorporate this into how I lead? That's such a great question. I love that. And to some extent, I think we're going to be making that up <laughs> as we go along. Right. And it's going to have more and more influence. But I guess one way to pose it is AI a leadership issue or a technical issue, right? right? And I don't think it's a technical issue where you're sending it down the hall to IT or people are just learning technical skills about how to use the tool. Like we were just chatting about. That's important. Yes. But the reason I think it's a leadership issue and Allison and I lay this out in our book and we talk a lot about it is something, a concept called the dividend of time. Okay, so can help remove some of that soul-sucking grunt work, right? A lot of cut and paste, busy work, frankly. And it can help us be more efficient and that can open up time, right? So it the leadership challenge is like, how are we going to repurpose and reinvest that time? Are we going to just continue to just be busy and do more faster? Are we really going to take this moment to reinvent the way we do our work to get more impact? Are we going to shift? Um, this is Allison's favorite topic. Are we going to shift from transactional fundraising to move to relational fundraising? Yes. Are we going to spend more time with clients and less time on screen work or paperwork? And I think about this one recently. I don't know if you've noticed. I, I imagine you have just been probably been to the doctors recently. <laughs> I'm, I'm just COVID negative three days ago. <laughs> right. Yeah. So have you, uh, the last doctor's appointment, did, was the doctor taking notes? No, the, the somebody came in with a computer and, and was taking notes. notes. Right. Okay. In the past, sometimes the doctors be staring at the computer taking notes or else there'd be this third person in the room taking notes. But now AI is starting to do this. And the doctors are, my doctor now has a phone and it's a voice to text capture and they're asking questions and they're giving their full attention to me, but this AI is taking the notes. Yes. So that's shifting really their attention and service delivery <laughs> to me as the patient, as opposed to being involved with the documentation and the notes and that sort of thing. So and that example probably is relevant for maybe social work, right? In nonprofits yes. and many other, even just like paying attention at meetings and letting the AI take some of the notes so you've captured it can help yep. us really listen to each other better. So it's up to us, I think, as leaders to really think about how we want to reinvest that dividend of time. And the other thing that's coming, and this is the part that really excites me, but it's in the future. I hope other people are excited about it, but okay. So as we start to reinvest this dividend of time into these other kind of non-technical things, and if we do free up time grunt work out of our work, what are the opportunities for reskilling and professional development that we can do? Are there more stretch assignments that we can start to give our people? And then as we start to do that, then how does that change the way we collaborate as a team? And how does that then permeate and go through the organization to ultimately have a better impact in the program we're delivering or the service we're delivering or what we're, or the way we're communicating with our community? I want to move on to the sort of the ethical piece of this, but before I do, sticking on leadership for a moment, I wonder, this is something I see over and over again, right? I, and by the way, will you tell folks in the, the name of your book? Oh, The Smart Nonprofit, Staying Human-Centered in an Automated World with Allison Fine, my collaborator for decades, and me, myself. <laughs> Who is now doing the coolest thing on the planet, actually. We should give her a plug before we're yeah. done. Um, she's the president of every dot. Org. <laughs> Every dot org. Yes. You know, just make a note of that. If you're if AI is taking notes for you. 
Every.org. It is, it's the thing. Online fundraising platform, but just not anything you've seen. And so leadership. So yes, it's about the dividend of time. If I have this much time available that I didn't have available before, what will that make possible? Go, go ahead, Beth. I was going to say, it doesn't require, I'm going to ask you this question, um, a mind shift from thinking about what do we mean by productivity? <laughs> it, it does. I, is, I actually, is productivity busy work or is it something else? <laughs> I think that's a mind shift. That's a mindset shift. I was actually going to go even higher altitude and say that you've got, there's a mindset shift that the nonprofit sector needs to undergo in general into which this will fit, which is sort of aversion to risk, change, right? Change resistance. Here we have a universe of millions of people who are in the business of making change, but they have risk averse boards. They live in a sort of a world of that by virtue of low resources, et cetera, come from a place of scarcity, right? And so that this mindset does not, in my mind, does not ignite, propel risk-taking, piloting innovation, something that you obviously have made central to your platform. And I just wonder if you see the same thing I do. I see it. It does not matter how big the organization is, whether the budget has four zeros or six zeros, it just doesn't matter. Yeah. And I think what I've seen is it prevents us from creating that space to learn something new, to make the change, or to really slowly build that culture of working or way of working. Because we're so busy with this idea of busyness as productivity, <laughs> yes. as opposed to abundance, right? Yes. And I think also, we are, we need to be better at making the case to our boards, right? We, we need to... I saw somebody in the chat say, can I share this recording with my board, the recording's available. For to educate your board about what's possible is only going to actually fuel them. It's, it's kind of, and I'll just really quickly say, the pandemic showed us what innovation and piloting and testing looks like. And it may have been exhausting, but I think there were many nonprofit leaders who never felt more alive and fueled by the work they did during that time. And I think this kind of falls into that bucket. So I, I think as you're thinking about leadership, I want mm -hmm. you to think about who you are as an innovator, a risk taker, a change agent, because this is, there's a lot of dividends here. Yeah. And I think it's not only the change making and this moment of time to do that and thinking about the innovation piece and what's possible, but we also also think about the ethical and responsible responsible use piece of it as well. And yes. I've been doing a lot of actually coming in to board retreats and doing kind of a basic kind of like overview, the Fantastic. level setting piece. And then at that level, talking about what are our ethics around this? How are we going to make decisions around this? What, just because we can do this, should we? <laughs> so if you had that expansive conversation and AI has so much potential, it comes down to that question. We could do this, but should we? Yeah. So if I run a nonprofit organization, how do I lead that conversation about ethical AI use in my organization? I think that's really right on. And I think I want to set the stage a little bit on on what would be in that conversation. I think first and foremost, there's a, a piece about being human-centered and this gets back to your scarcity <laughs> comment. It's not a cheap replacement for staff, right? We're not going to reduce headcount and let the robots take people out to lunch in the fundraising office, right? right. It's not going to automate completely someone's job away 
their jobs will change. But we all have to make a commitment that we're using this for augmentation, not replacement of humans, and that there's always human oversight. And Allison and I advocate for something called a co-botting model, <laughs> where uh-huh. humans do what they do best, which is the relationship building, the problem solving, the creativity, the, the strategy, empathy, all those pieces that are leadership qualities do. And we let the machines do what they do best, this fast synthesis, this first draft, whatever that is, but we're always in charge. And maybe as an ethical statement, really only considering cobot use cases. Right. Right. So are there examples of ethical use policies that nonprofits can use in this regard? Yes. I do also want to do one other piece of content that should be in the policy. And that's really about two things, actually, is to understand what the potential risks are. And this is if you're It's going to be maybe lower risk if you're using a generative AI text tool than if you're creating a chatbot to deliver healthcare information on the front line. Those are going to be different risk levels of types of use cases, but with anyone that you should be doing some threat modeling. And threat modeling is considering what potentially could go wrong and how do we mitigate this. And The boards would be really good at this, actually. (laughs) Yeah, especially the lawyers on the board. Yes, exactly. (laughs) They can be the the heads of the worst case scenario. And And some of the ways it could go wrong, because remember what I said at the beginning, that we have algorithms, which are these rules. Who created those rules and what assumptions did they make? And often they're created by white men. And then it's using data to be trained on. And a lot of times you have to understand the inherent bias that may be in the data set. So you can begin to mitigate those risks. And and again, to start small with your use cases, maybe finding those exquisite pain points and doing enough testing and learning from it before pushing something at scale or on the front line. So your question about examples about different use policies and ethical and responsible use policies. So here's the thing where I really hope... I've been here before. First of all, what it is, it's a policy, it's a written policy based on a discussion with senior leadership team, maybe your board, staff, about the ethical quagmires and potential harms to end users. And it provides guidance to ethical decision making. So it's kind of like, you know, hospitals have ethical committees, right? So they know if all of a sudden we had a lot of casualties, (laughs) they would make ethical decision making around who they would treat. Maybe it's not that high stakes in a nonprofit, but so it's how are we going to make decisions around this? And there's lots of examples of policies out there, but I hope people aren't going to cut and paste the policy and, oh, we checked the box, but really have that discussion. So you want to think about the do no harm, human-centered, testing before you're putting it on front lines, understanding bias and data and algorithms, privacy, IP, and transparency. Okay, so that's a really good list. And by the way, you will find that list and more detail about that in Beth and Allison's book. And so- I an article too, we wrote for SIR. Yes, exactly. And so using those as well as perhaps some kind of a template out there. And- There are, there are some. And then using it as a draft to say, this is what one looks like, but we need to be looking at it ours through the lens of these seven or eight things. And what are, and related to our organizational values. But I do want to give a plug for fundraising.ai, which has generated some ethical guidelines for fundraisers. So they could go up to the site. That's a great starting point. Also looking at some of the examples of the larger tech companies that have really invested in 
and ethical and responsible use. I'll give a shout out to Microsoft. I, I love their Azure bot policy. And there are some things maybe you don't want, but there are some really good things to look at. And even just reading through the, the White House just issued a memo on safe, secure, and trustworthy AI. And there's some things, not everything, but there are some things in there that are also relevant to the discussion. So there's resources out there. I mean, I could stop. There's also Villa Starr, who is the president of the Patrick J. McGovern Foundation. He has a uh -huh. free course on AI ethics on LinkedIn. I uh, haven't yet got completed yet, so I haven't quite got my certificate yet, but it's a really, I mean, some of the things are for larger organizations, but there's a lot of really good nuggets in there. So it's yeah. like educating yourself. Yes. <laughs> and, and investing in that time. That's actually, by the way, that's a, that's an attribute of leadership, right? Is to actually say, what are the things I need to know that I don't know? And I'm going to set aside these things to make time to learn these things, right? So curiosity and learning are attributes of leadership that are really critical as it relates to AI. And speaking of learning, there are a lot of things to unlearn about AI, right? So why don't we just put them out on the table? The common perceptions that make people kind of... <laughs> yeah, I love this. I love this because they're still out there. I think because AI had, had its birth or roots in science fiction. So there's always the like the real killer robots are going to destroy us and kill the world. I, yeah, there are some, there's definitely safety issues, right? We definitely need to have more regulation and th there's potentially some unsafe things. But I think the bigger thing for nonprofit leaders to think about is more this ethical and responsible use within their organization. Because the toothpaste is out of the tube. It's here. The other thing is that we can reduce headlight, headcount. It's going to steal all our, it's going to kill off all our jobs. We, oh, we can lay off staff and save money on staffing. And what I like to think about for nonprofits is no, as a leader, you should think about it. This is a way for me to get free administrative assistance for all my staff. Love it. It is going to change jobs, as we mentioned, right? Not going to lie about that. But that's also another leadership thing is that thinking about what is your staff development plan, right? Retrain. There was an article, it was over the summer, and I had to laugh about it. It was, I think, in the Washington Post. And the headline was something like, I used to be a writer, but AI killed my job. And now I fix air conditioners for a living. <laughs> And it was a really provocative headline. I'm like, and I was like, saw the headline. Oh, I better read this. <laughs> and basically it was somebody who worked at a creative agency and a small one and was the writer. And a lot of that job of that person's work was helped by generative AI and writing first drafts. And what they wanted to do was change the position. And they wanted to retrain this person to do some other types of tasks that weren't writing. And that person didn't want to do that and left, right? So it's not that it's eating a job and firing somebody or laying someone off or whatever, but it's that jobs are changing and we really have to like think about how are we going to support and facilitate that change. So we've got these mis misconceptions and you've actually made, as we've had this conversation, talked about ways in which AI can augment. I think a comment in here is talking about how to use AI to augment your work, which I think is a, an interesting word to use here. Let's talk about when things don't go the way you hope they will go. And how can AI get you into some hot water? Okay, I can give a couple examples. And yeah, this one, 
too. <laughs> I'm sure we, maybe we had the same ones, but I, this one was pretty well publicized over the summer. It was the National Eating Disorders Association. No, I don't, good. No, I don't know about this one. Okay. So I think the pandemic created the perfect storm for people who had eating disorders and had recovered or maybe lend themselves into having an eating disorder, whatever the, the factors are. This particular association had this hotline texting piece and somebody could call and get help. And it was run by four staff. And I think they had hundreds of volunteers who would answer questions. And they were overwhelmed for demand. And they went to senior management and said, we need more staff. And the response was reportedly that we need to have more staff. We're going to unionize. So the response was to pink slip staff and put a bot on the front line. And if this isn't as bad enough, it wasn't adequately tested. So it started providing information that could be potentially harmful to someone with an eating disorder. This created some reputational issues because it got picked up by the media and so on and so forth. I saw it on CNN, USA Today, NPR, and they were in crisis management mode. And then I just saw an article recently, they're still feeling the impact of this. They had to take the bot offline and sort of say, oh, um, there was a technical glitch. Probably didn't test it enough. And then I saw an article where they had a bill, a state bill in New Hampshire that was turned down because of this crisis. This moral to the story is not run screaming from AI, (laughs) but you really need to be thoughtful and test things before you're starting to put them on the front line and understand what the potential harm to end users could be. And also to remain human-centered. It's, again, not a cheap replacement for staff. The other moral of that story, too, is the ripple effect of that. Is it, it didn't just harm the National Eating Disorders Association, right? It got a lot of notoriety and moved more people to say, whoa, right? And especially their advocates, some of their chief advocates. Because we also happen to know that journalists love a good crisis story. They love them. (laughs) And so they're not going to run some fantastic story about how AI was a game changer for a nonprofit. What (laughs) fun would that be? I know. To be honest, we've seen a few. Okay. To be honest, there have been, there are some. So give me, so, so, so. So give me, give us one that we can offset the eating disorder uh, example. (laughs) Okay. I just saw one the other day and I confessed because I, uh, I didn't fully read it, but Debbie, who's over at Microsoft Philanthropy, she's running their AI initiative. She posts right. on LinkedIn, LinkedIn, and I'll, I'll put I'll put this in the chat in the LinkedIn event. Uh, she's really great at curating content and storytelling um, about specific information for uh, about nonprofits and AI. And there was this one really uplifting story about how a teen learned had this really was doing this sort of like basic kind of job that wasn't fun, but then learned AI and now is scaling a big business. I forget all the details because again, I didn't read it, but I saw the picture and I, and I made a mental note. Oh, in my reading, which will be on Friday, I got to read that story so I can tell it. <laughs> 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 That's bad, but uh, yeah. lots of great examples. So how about image generators, storytelling, right? Examples of how AI misuse can lead to ethical concerns in that arena, right? We, we have a lot of people think a lot of think a lot of people think AI and they're thinking about written content, but we also have like storytelling and imagery. And what have you seen out there? Okay, so if I'm going to preface the story with I think we're in the, the I call it the wild west stage of technology before the ethics and everything has caught up in a lot of the software that's out there and best practices about using it in our field have caught up. So we're in this like wild west kind of stage. So it was an organization 
that works with transitional homeless clients to get furniture donated so that when they move into their first transitional apartment, they have, they have furnishing. Right. Right. And so what they decided to do and I'm being dramatic in the way I'm telling it, they said, okay, we're going to use a dramatic interpretation. is always <laughs> Okay. Uh, we're going to use this image generating tool. I, I think it was mid journey. I'm not hundred percent sure exactly which one. Uh-huh. And instead in the past we've used paid photographers, lots of money. We're going to cut that out of the budget. <laughs> and in the past we haven't really, because of privacy issues, we haven't shown the actual people in dire straits. We're going to type into the, this image generator, a description of the client in bad shape. And we're going to ask it to create a realistic photo of it. And we're going to use that in our annual appeal because we know this kind of imagery generates more is, is better. And that's what they did. (laughs) And they got a little flack on it. Right. And so there are, you know, some ethical issues here to discuss just because you can tell stories like that. Should you, is that ethical storytelling? Some people might say it's poverty porn, right? How do you disclose? Do you disclose that this is a, you know, an AI generated image? Is it ethical not to disclose it? Right. What do you think? and is it ethical to cut out, not pay your creative, you know, oh, I'm going to cut the creative staff out of the budget. Yeah. You yeah. know, what do I think? It's not so much what I think. I think organizations have to have that conversation and understand where their moral compass is. For yeah. me, I've been reading a lot about ethical storytelling and I, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> and I would have uh, some comments in my ethical use policy around image creation that we're upholding the highest standards of ethical storytelling in the way that we use this. There's the disclose or not disclose. I think that's going to be taken care of for us because what's coming, there's been an agreement through the White House looking at this that, you know, in political campaigns, we're going to disclose AI generated imagery and videos. And I, th- and what I just read a couple of weeks ago is uh, places like Adobe will have water stamps and yes. an image that's been generated by AI. And so some of the software programs that are creating social media content and organizations may not know this. If you use a g- AI generated image, they might already tag it with AI generated image. And that's how I found out over the summer when th- that there were fires on Maui. I was out looking at some social media, just trying to figure out like who to donate to. And I saw one organization that I did donate to. And I was looking and I kind of looked at their coat. I looked at the fire picture and I'm like, that doesn't look like the fire that I've been seeing on the news. And I looked at the code and I saw like the alt tag said AI generated image. And it was like, hmm, that's, that's interesting. I understand maybe they're really busy and they just had to get something out there. But like, what would my policy be around that? Yeah. Would I use it? So and I think one oh, other, I was going to say one, if you're an arts organization, would you have a policy about not paying artists? <laughs> <laughs> just to be dramatic, you know? Yeah. Just, just saying, just um, saying, but also yeah. the flip side of this, just to add a little bit more. And I know we're going to keep an eye on the time. We are, I think there's a new artistic field maybe coming where of our artists who work with the AI who co-create co-bot with it. So completely. Completely. It could be very interesting, but I, I will, I will also say, and then I, I have one last, one last question that actually came from um, someone who's, who's watching with us. And I remember maybe, I don't know, could be eight years ago or something. So I'm doing this presentation and I often talk about non thriving nonprofits like twin engine jets, right? And then you have to have a really strong board engine and a really strong staff engine, right? And in the cockpit, I put the board chair and the executive director, right? Sort of leading together, kind of a shared leadership thing. 
And to find any photographs of any kind of diversity with regard to co-pilots in a 737 airplane was impossible, right? And so I see a world that we have to actually tread really carefully in where places, apps like MidJourney can do that kind of, can, can help in this regard with boundaries, right? And, I, and, and so, you know, if I'm looking for, and I'm doing a webinar and I'm looking for, a, you know, a particular kind of image and we can't, we can't find it on Unsplash or something like that, you know, can I create it in mid-journey and how do I tee up the description so that I get something that is great and not actually problematic? Right. And I think that's the new job maybe for co-creating, <laughs> right? Right. Um, I, I, you know, I don't know what the name of it is. And I know we're going to be running out of time. And I just want to make sure that we mention, like we did at the top, your leadership lab. Yeah. And so I, I, that's, I wanted to go there too. And I think the reason that this conversation has been so interesting to me, in addition to it being educational, is that, you know, I, in addition to being a CEO coach, I also have this online learning community, the Nonprofit Leadership Lab. We have about 5,000 members from North America and around the world, both board and staff members who join us for both content and for community. We know these jobs are hard. We know they actually can be very, very lonely and that there's a lot to know. There's a lot to know and there's a lot of emotion around these jobs and how do you distinguish from the, the urgent, from the important. And since we started six years ago, we have supported about 20,000 leaders from North America and around the world. And That's it has amazing. Been, it has been probably the most rewarding way to, if you will, to sort of the ability to scale your expertise as a coach, as a leader, as a trainer is just, a, it's just remarkable. And we've seen so many people who have raised money, who have said they just came out of a really great board meeting. Who goes to a great board meeting, right? Um, <laughs> people who have really transformed their boards and managed out bad Apple staff and all of those kinds of things. So it's been a, a great, it has been a, a great um, enterprise and it is really growing by leaps and bounds. And, and I know Beth has been a supporter and fan of the work that we're doing there. Yeah, for many years and continue to be. In fact, I think I dropped a, a URL in my comment. <laughs> yeah, and it's right, like you, I think you'll oh. also find it on the screen as well. Oh, this is so cool. You have text um, to that number and then you we get do. the link. So um, for those of you who are, um, just so I, I'll read it. So it's text NPAI, like nonprofit AI, to 201 778 7577, and you can get a link to join the Nonprofit Leadership Lab. It's either a monthly or an annual subscription. And it is, we have made a commitment, Scott and I, to make sure that it is kind of the best deal in town. And because it is geared towards small to mid sized nonprofits uh, that don't often have professional development budgets, if at all, we wanted to make sure that it was an easy in for people. And that is exactly what it is. So I hope you'll check it out if you're interested. Um, can I ask you one last question? Oh, sure. <laughs> or, uh, I don't know. Unless they're listening. yelling at us to close because uh, we're over four minutes, right? Are they actually telling us to close? I don't think, I, no, I didn't see any. No, not yet. Okay, so I'm going to ask <laughs> one other question because I really liked this question. It came from John Stahl. Oh, hi, John. <laughs> uh, 
what entirely novel or previously impossible experience could we offer over and above just gains in efficiency? Try that one on as a closer. <laughs> Thanks, John. <laughs> I, have, I have to say, I've, um, I've known John for 20 years. And we, ah. we were um, nonprofit techies crawling under the desk and installing uh, local area networks um, <laughs> for nonprofits. Um, and he was much better at it than I was. And, and that's such a great question. I just it go back to It is a great question. First, I think for right now, I go back to that dividend, dividend of time. And it's maybe not what the tech can do, but what the tech can facilitate, and then what leaders can do to lead their organization there. I and I, I would just add, John, and I don't know you, but it sounds like I would like to know you. Uh, <laughs> you should definitely bring him up for an interview sometime. <laughs> this is a fantastic question for a board retreat where perhaps your board has watched this recording or done some pre-reading. And then to have that conversation, what big, hairy, audacious goal could you achieve if you used AI and you used it uh, with your moral, you know, firmly connected to your moral compass? What could it make possible? Have that conversation with your organization. Those are the kinds of conversations right. you don't have often enough. And that when you're up at that altitude, your board members really, really light up and it actually propels them to be even closer and more of a champion for your organization. So I just add that too. Yeah. Great. Great. I love it. <laughs> All right. We are out of time. Beth Cantor, always a pleasure to chat with you. And I learned a ton and I, and I, I do too. So <laughs> I always, as I said to your colleague, I always learn when Joan opens her mouth. <laughs> Well, um, uh, uh, I would just say right back at you. So um, thank you all for joining us. And again, if you have an interest in learning more about the Nonprofit Leadership Lab, you can text NPAI to 201-778-7577. And don't forget Beth Cantor's book, which is called... The Smart Nonprofit. <laughs> Co-authored with Allison Fine. Yes. And also check out every.org as well at this brand, sort of new innovative fundraising platform. So maybe we'll have to do this again sometime, Beth. Yeah, I think so. Maybe in a year or so. <laughs> I mean, as, as the field progress and we'll ask that wonderful question of John's, we'll look back and we'll, maybe that's a question we ask. We ask again. <laughs> yeah. And we get, and we get to hear what people are doing and uh, how, how big, how hairy and how audacious are people getting. So Anyway, thank you all for joining us. Beth, a pleasure as always, and uh, have a great rest of your day. You too. Okay. The Nonprofit Leadership Lab is led by Joan Gary and is the world's best online community for leaders of small nonprofits. Learn how to raise more money, build the board of your dreams, grow a large audience of supporters, and so much more. To learn more and request an invitation to become a member, please go to nonprofitleadershiplab.com slash podcast. That's nonprofitleadershiplab.com slash podcast. Thanks so much for spending time with me today. I hope you found the conversation valuable as you navigate the messy world of nonprofits. Check out all my other resources at joangary.com. Hope you find them helpful too. Lastly, Thank you for the work you do to repair the world in ways large and small. I'll see you next time.